This morning, uh, I thought I used just the theme of the uh, Chinese New Year as a background. Uh, the word there, Chun, is uh, spring in Chinese. Chun Jie is what they call in Chinese, uh, New Year. And uh, I thought I want to share some thoughts from Philippians chapter 1, uh, 12 to 26, although my points primarily will come from verse 19 onwards. But I'd like to read from verse 12 onwards just to give you a better uh, background and the picture on joy. Uh, in the book, Paul wrote about 13 letters in New Testament. Out of 27 books in the New Testament, Paul wrote 13. And, uh, and out of the 13 letters, Philippians is only four chapters, 104 verses. And in that chapter, in that letter, about 14 times in the 104 verses, the word joy or rejoice appear in the letter. And uh, this is probably one of the most beloved books in the New Testament. There are many reasons for it, not least of which is that it is, this is the happiest letter all out of the 13 where the Apostle Paul probably wrote. But there was nothing about strong criticism and all that kind of rebuild. All that. It is clear that sometimes Paul was not in the light-hearted mood when he wrote his letters, especially when he had to correct serious error in the churches. And the first one that comes to mind is the book of Galatians uh, or Second Thessalonians. But Paul's mood was obviously on the upside when he wrote this brief letter. So before I read the text to you, let me just give you a very quick background. Just remember two dates, AD 51 and AD 61. AD 51, you can read the story in Acts chapter 16. It was the first time that Paul went to Philippi. And there he meets a lady by the name of Lydia, who was the seller of purple robes by the riverside. And Paul led her to the Lord. She became a believer. And there he also cast a demon out of a young girl. And for this act of kindness, he was thrown in the jail. And while in prison, he led the jailer to the Lord and he baptizes him and his family in the middle of the night. And soon after, he leaves town and he travels to Thessalonia. Thessalonica, the Athens, Berea. And that was the beginning of a great church in Philippi. And because Paul founded the church, and since he had personally led some people to the Lord, they naturally looked to him with great reverence and love. And he in turn kept this particular church always in his heart, and a bond was formed that would never be broken. And 10 years later, AD 61, now Paul found himself sitting in the prison cell in Rome, waiting a trial before Caesar. He was under a type of house arrest, which meant he was watched by some guard. He was evidently chained to a guard at all times, but he's free to move around. He was not in solitary confinement, which meant he could receive visitors. And if you read the book of Acts, you see that there are many visitors that actually went to visit Paul during his uh, house arrest too. 
and he was even able to preach and teach while imprisoned. And when the Philippian church, which he planted 10 years ago, heard about his imprisonment, they decided that they want to do something very practical to help Paul. So they sent some money through a guy by the name of Epaphroditus, which is a very good meaning, by the way. It means charming, means uh, handsome in Latin. Uh, Epaphroditus, they sent Epaphroditus to pass some love gifts, probably not in red packets, but send some money uh, to help Paul, some monetary gifts for his personal needs. And while Epaphroditus was in Rome, he was helping Paul, he stayed there for a little while, and he became very sick, and he almost died. And so when word got back to the Philippians church, they were naturally very concerned. And eventually, Epaphroditus returned to health, and Paul decided to send him back to the Philippians church. And that is when Paul wrote this letter, passed to Epaphroditus, and get him to bring it back to the church in Philippi and read it to the church. So this brief note is the New Testament book of Philippians. Its tone is spontaneous, warm, and very personal. It has been said that among all the letters, this is probably the most personal and heartwarming in nature. And some uh, commentators say that it is a window into the apostle's own bosom, in his own character, into his own heart. And so throughout the epistle, as I already mentioned, the key word is the word joy or rejoice. It appears many, many times. And so I want to now read to you from verses 12 to 26. And I want to give you four points. Uh, since it's the letter of joy, and I want to look at how Paul able to maintain that kind of joy despite of the fact that he is in, a, in prison. Despite that everything is not going according to his ways, he is still able to be so joyful. And Billy Sunday, uh, evangelist in the 19th century, way before Billy Graham, used to say that every Christian should have joy. If you have no joy in your life as a believer, as a disciple, as a Christian, then there is a leak somewhere. You have to fix the leak. Because joy is also one of the fruit of the spirits mentioned in Galatians chapter 5. And so today I want to look at the text and I want to give you four points. How do we as Christians, that we can actually maintain joy just like Paul, despite of difficult circumstances, despite of challenges, because joy really is not confined because of, it's not, uh, 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 not because of circumstances. You can experience the worst form of circumstances in life, and yet you still can enjoy. Maybe happiness is attached to circumstances, but joy is certainly attached to a relationship with God. And so I want to read to you uh, this hymn of joy, verses 12 onwards, and provide you four points on that. So let, let's go. Uh, verse 12 Say, just before verse 12, uh, ending of the verse 11, he said, I will continue to rejoice. I will continue to rejoice. Why? I want you to know, he said. Paul said, I want you to know, brothers and sisters. Remember, he's sending this letter through Epaphroditus to the Philippians church. He said, I want you to know. He planted this church 10 years 
years ago. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me, which is in prison, has actually served to advance the gospel. You see, what is actually happening to me is, is served to advance the gospel. What a perspective on that, isn't it? When you know that God is in the picture. As a result of that, as a result of my imprisonment, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Not because I committed a crime, not because I was nasty, not because I beat up my wife or whatever. I was in prison because of Christ. And people in the prison know that reason. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preached Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. So Paul here was saying, well, there are people who preach gospel, all kinds of motives. Some preach the gospel sincerely because they love the Lord. They preach it to teach, to, to, to win souls for the Lord. But some, they, they preach Christ out of selfish ambition. They just would have, you know, maybe... Maybe for other reasons, for business, for getting contacts or whatever, I don't know. Uh, but Paul said, well, everybody preach Christ from different motives. And verse 18 say, but what does it matter, he said. So here, please take note that Paul has no problem with whatsoever motivation people preach the gospel. But he will always have problem with the gospel content, but not the motivations. And that is why in Galatians, he will be very harsh because of the gospel content that was diluted and changed. So Paul has no issue with people's motivation in preaching the gospel. Whatever motive, we don't have to read into people's motive. But he will have issue with the gospel that they preach. So we should always criticize people's gospel message that they preach and not their motive. How they want to preach? If they preach the right gospel with ulterior motive, that is their issue. Paul said, what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. Now, this, and then this is the text that I want to expound on. Why I rejoice is that for I know that through your prayers and God's provisions of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect, not just expect, eagerly expect. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now as always, Christ will be exalted in my body. Whether Ah, oh, sorry. I think I must have. Uh, whether, 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 whether by life or by death, all right? For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gained. 
If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart, meaning to die, and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. So I want to just give you four points on how actually as believers, we can maintain our joy, that we can still be joyful, we can fix the leak, even despite of any challenges that comes along our path. And we want to learn some lesson from Paul in this simple letter. First one, I think if we want to maintain joy in our lives, is we must express unshakable confidence in God. You must express unshakable confidence in God. Verse 19 say, I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. It doesn't matter what happened to me, Paul said. Maybe I will continue to stay in the prison for another 10 years. Maybe I will be executed. Maybe I will be released. Paul said, it doesn't matter. Because what is going to turn out for me in the future, it will turn out for my deliverance anyway. Because I have confidence that God knows me. God loves me. God is in the picture. Have you heard of the story about uh, two brothers, eight and ten years old, who were exceedingly mischievous? Whatever went wrong in the neighborhood, it turned out that they had a hand in it. Their parents were at wit's end and trying to control them, hearing about a priest nearby who worked with delinquent boys the mother decided to ask the priest to talk to them. She went to the priest and made her request. He agreed, but said he wanted to see the younger boy first. So the mother sent him to the priest. The priest set the boy down and decided to make the boy realize that God was everywhere. Omnipresence, that we call it. God was everywhere and he could see everything he did. So he pointed his fingers at the boy and asked, where is God? The boy said nothing. Probably terrified. And again, louder, the priest pointed the boy and asked, Where is God? Again, the boy said nothing. And then a third time, in a louder and firmer voice, the priest leaned across the desk and put his finger almost to the boy's nose and asked, where is God? And the boy was absolutely terrified and panicked and he ran all the way home. Finding his older brother, he dragged him upstairs to their room where they usually plotted their mischief and he finally said, we are in big trouble this time. The, the older boy asked, what do you mean big trouble? His brother replied, well, God is missing. And they think we did it. Well, the question is always, is God missing in your life? 
to maintain joy and confidence in God, you must know that He's never missing. He is always in the equation of your life. Whatever that may be, equal plus God. You have to plus whatever happened, you have to plus God and equal something else. God must always be in the picture. When God is in the picture, you can have absolute confidence in whatever circumstances that you may be facing. If God is not in the picture, of course, you, you can panic. You should panic. Oswald Chambers, my favorite devotional author, uh, on July 29th, he said this, which I thought is a good quote that I can read it to you. He said, There is a connection between the strange providences of God and what we know of Him, and we have to learn to interpret the mysteries of life in the light of our knowledge of God. And listen to this. Unless we can look the darkest, blackest fact full in the face without damaging God's character, we do not yet know Him. Let me repeat that again. Unless we can look at the darkest, blackest fact full in the face without damaging God's character, we do not yet know Him. Confidence in God, that God is a good God. Never doubt that. Never allow your mind to stray away from the fact that God is a good God. And He will only give you what is best for you. St. Teresa of Avila used to say, Let nothing disturb you. Nothing frighten you. All things pass away. God never changes. Patience obtains all things. He who has God lacks nothing. God alone suffices. Great confidence in God. You want to have joy? You must have an unshakable confidence in God. Just like Paul who said, whatever happened to me, it will turn out for my deliverance. It will turn out for my deliverance. Whether it is staying on for another 10 years in prison, whether is it that I'm going to die, which eventually he did, uh, which is, which, uh, and, uh, doesn't matter. It will turn out for my deliverance. Unshakable confidence in God. Secondly, in verse 20, we must express unquestionable courage in the midst of difficulty. Unquestionable courage in the midst of difficulty. I have no doubt that difficulties, challenges can derail Christians. We just came from a, a place called Yakadanda. We spent a few nights with one of my Bible college friends, a group of them from our year when we graduated in 1998, a group of them decided to plant a church in Baradunda, and uh, a team of them. And sadly, when we were there, they told us that one of our Bible college friends, a couple, has completely derailed and no longer uh, in the church. I didn't ask him details, um, but it is not surprising that some believers, we turn away from the Lord, walk away when we are faced with a lot of challenges in our life, or difficulties, or illness, or some pain and suffering that we cannot comprehend how a loving God can allow that to happen. 
Uh, we will address that uh, subsequently in the next couple of weeks because we're going to look into wisdom literature and Job certainly is a book that we will, we will be giving an overview on. Uh, but in order to maintain joy, to have joy, we must express an unquestionable, unquestionable courage in the midst of difficulties. See what uh, Paul says. He said, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now as always will be exalted in my, now as always Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Paul said, I have great confidence in God for my circumstances because it will turn out for my deliverance. And I really pray and hope, eagerly expect that I will be in no way be ashamed of whatever outcome it will it will happen. I'll have sufficient courage to push through that and go through that. So sufficient, unquestionable courage in the midst of difficulty. Courage is a virtue that has lost, isn't it? We have lost these virtues of courage among Christians. Some Christians don't even have the courage to say grace for fear that it might offend someone or whatever. You know. Um, There's a story about Viktor Frankl, uh, author of the book Man's Search for Meaning. He was imprisoned by the Nazi in the Second World War because he was a Jew. His wife, his children, his parents all were killed in the Holocaust. The Gestapo made him strip. He stood there totally naked as they cut away his wedding band. Viktor Frankl said to himself, You can take away my wife. You can take away my children. You can strip me of my clothes. You can take away my freedom. But there is one thing no person can ever take away from me. And that is my freedom to choose how I will react to what happens to me. The thing that you cannot take away from me is how I choose to react to what happens to me. Confidence always leads to courage. Although we may not understand all of God's purposes, we know that God is too righteous ever to do wrong, too loving ever to be unkind, too wise ever to make a mistake, and too powerful ever to be frustrated. It is to our gracious and sovereign Lord that you put your confidence in and you have courage to face your circumstances, whatever that may be. Christian has this wrong perception. I've been trying to say this time and time again, that once you become Christian, means you are always smooth sailing, nothing will happen to you. This is a, a lie. This is lies. We live in a fallen world. Frederick Bushner said, if you tell me Christian commitment is a kind of thing that has happened to you once and for all, like some kind of spiritual plastic surgery, I say you're either pulling the wool over your own eyes or trying to pull it over mine. Every morning, you should wake up in your bed and ask yourself, can I believe it all over again today? No, better still, don't ask it till after you read the New York Times. Of course, this is an American or whatever times that we have here. Uh, till after you've studied the daily record of the world's brokenness and corruption, 
which should always stand side by side with your Bible. And then ask yourself if you can believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ again for that particular day. He said, faith is a daily ongoing exercise. It is a risk. Doubts arise. We struggle with God. And hopefully, faith grounded in the goodness of God triumphs. Even when we do not have all the answers and life doesn't make sense. Courage. Because it comes from confidence in God. When we have confidence in this God that is true good, true wise, true righteous, then you know whatever circumstances that happen to you will turn out to be good. The third C that I want to give to you is not just only confidence and courage, but commitment. You must express your unrelenting commitment to Christ. You must express your unrelenting commitment to Christ. What a beautiful verse. Among all the books in the Bible, Philippians is the book that I must confess that I probably know most of the verses that I memorized. And this is one of the verses that uh, when I was young, I memorized. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gained. To me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. I live for Christ, but if I die, it's by gain. Death is no longer your enemy. Death becomes your friend. And we all have to march down that pathway. And here, Paul has absolute confidence in God and courage in his circumstances and let him to commit his life, saying that I live here is for Christ. I live for Christ. Someone say that if you don't know what you're living for, then ask yourself, what are you willing to die for? The thing that you're willing to die for is probably the thing that you're living for. What are you willing to die for? And that is probably the thing that you're living for. Some people are willing to live for Christ, but not willing to die for Christ. Others are willing to die for Christ, but not willing to live for Christ. Commitment is something that we need to recover once again as a believers. There was a story about a, a, a man who walked into a photography studio way before all this internet and, and phone and all that. Uh, he wanted to frame a picture of his girlfriend. He wanted the picture duplicated. This involved removing it from the frame. And in doing so, the studio owner noticed the inscription on the back of the photos that says, My dearest Tom, I love you with all my heart. I love you more and more each day. I will love you forever and ever and ever and ever. I'm yours for all eternity. And it was signed off, Helen. And then it contained a PS, postscript, that said, If we ever break up, I want this picture back. And even, even marriage nowadays, there's such a thing called prenuptial agreement, isn't it? It's almost like anticipating that maybe, in case, just in case, you know. Mohandras Gandhi used to say, seven things will destroy you. He said, well, without work will destroy you. 
Pleasure without conscience will destroy you. Knowledge without character will destroy you. Yes. Business or commerce without morality will destroy you. Science without humanity will destroy you. And finally, worship without sacrifice will destroy you. How many people embrace Christianity without knowing the cost of following Jesus? How many of us embrace Christianity without knowing the cost of following Jesus? And Jesus never, never, you read through the gospel, I've never seen him lower down his standard. Never. But Christian churches nowadays, we are, the way to become Christian is almost right down below. Everybody can cross. Anybody can cross over. It's a free gift, but it costs. Salvation is free, but discipleship is always costly. Always costly. And the cost of following Christ is always great, but the cost of not following Christ is greater. Is greater. And I think Gandhi, even though he was, a, he was not a, a believer by any chance, although his, his non-pacifist kind of uh, belief, definitely taken from the Sermon on the Mount, which he often says from, from Jesus. And he often said, I love your Jesus, but I hate you. He says to the Christians, I love your Jesus, but I don't like you. Because he was turned away from the church in London when he went to visit. You're not, you don't belong here. He said, I love your Jesus. Worship without sacrifice will destroy you. Worship without. Another lady who worked in uh, India for many, many years. He said, by blood, I am Albanian. By citizenship, I am an Indian. By faith, I am a Catholic nun. As to my calling, I belong to the world. As to my heart, I belong entirely to the heart of Jesus. Confidence in God will gives us courage, and courage will lead us to raise our commitment to Jesus Christ, that we live for Him. And Paul is able to say that without uncertainty. That to live, for me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. That if I die, it is gain because I'm going to the Lord. I'm going to the Lord. Commitment. Someone said that little stones make big mountains. Little steps can cover mounds. Little acts of loving kindness give the world its biggest smiles. Little words can soothe big troubles. Little hearts can dry big tears. Little candles can light the darkness. Little memories last for years. Little dreams can lead to greatness. Little victories to success. It's the little things in life that really matters. It's the little things in life that really matters. Don't always think of only doing the big thing. Little things. Commit yourself to little things. It is the little things that will propel you. Little things. Pay attention to little things. Pay attention to that. Little things. It will do wonder as you go on. 
So confidence in God will give you courage, and courage will lead you to commit yourself to the Lord. And finally, that I believe in Paul's message passage here, what is going to keep you joyful at all times as believer, despite of circumstances, is the word contentment. Contentment. You must express unwavering contentment in God's plan for you. Don't compare. Contentment. Contentment in God's plan for your life. There was a story by an airline pilot who was flying over a particular mountain. And then he pointed to his co-pilot a lake over there. And he said to his co-pilot, do you see that little lake over there? He said, yeah. You know, when I was a kid, I used to sit in a rowboat down there, fishing. And every time a plane would fly overhead, I will look up and wish I was flying. Now I look down and wish I was in the rowboat fishing. Contentment can be an elusive pursuit. We go after what we think will make us happy only to find that it didn't work. In fact, we were happier before we started the quest. Like the story of two teardrops floating down the river of life. One teardrop said to the other, Who are you? He said, I'm a teardrop from a girl who loved a man and lost him. Who are you? He said, I'm a teardrop from the girl who got him. Or Oscar Wilde used to say, there are two tragedies in life. You don't get what you want, or you get what you want. Here in Paul's final point, from verse 22 to 24, he spells out to us the great contentment that he has in God's plan for him. He said, if I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. I will continue to serve the Lord and you know, contribute. It will be a fruitful labor for me. He said, yeah, what should I choose? I do not know. I do not know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. And so Paul is contented. He said, well, if I go, I go. I'll be with Christ anyway. But if I stay, it's also good because it means fruitful labor for me in the, my contribution to your life. Some people want to die because they hate this life. But Paul was ready and willing to die because he looked forward to life with Christ in heaven. And that is Christian worldview. It includes eternity. For him, death would be like a ship pulling up anchor and sailing out of the harbor towards a new destination. It would be like an army breaking camp, striking the tents and moving to a new location. Paul understood that for the Christian, death is, only, is nothing more than 
a change of address. In the meantime, he was willing to remain if he could make a difference in the lives of other people. And the way to make a difference to the lives of other people is to recognize that the best way to invest your life is to invest in something that will outlast you. Outlast your, outlast your earthly life. And here Paul say, well, if I die, praise the Lord. I'm coming to the Lord. If I stay, praise the Lord. I will continue to be a blessing to you, Philippians Church. Contentment. He's satisfied. He is contented with his with God's plan in his life. And if you go to chapter 4 later on, Paul says, uh, I have learned to be contented. And that tells me that contentment is, doesn't come suddenly, you know, automatically as a Christian. Contentment have to learn. I've learned to be contented. He said, whether I was poor, I've learned to live in, in, in poverty, I've learned to live in plenty, whatever it is, I'm contented. I've learned what it means to be contented. And then the famous verse is in verse 13 that say, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And it's in the context of contentment. I can. I can. I can learn how to be contented with whatever situation that I am in. And then joy will be part of your life. I cannot finish this sermon without referring to Jesus. Because Jesus in John 15 talks about remaining in me. And he, we cannot have joy without Jesus. Here it says, I have told you this, so that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be complete. So your joy can only be complete when Jesus is in the picture that you rely on Him, you have confidence in Him. And because you have confidence in Him, you have courage in the difficulties that you are facing. And then you will be committed to the Lord. Contentment will seep into your life the more you are committed to the Lord. Jesus is the key to joy. Isn't it what people say, J-O-Y? Jesus, others, and yourself? Or they say, the, the, the O represents zero. Let nothing stand between you and Jesus. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Let me finish this with a saying by Peter Drucker. Peter Drucker is the all-time all -time management consultant in old school. A lot of uh, management uh, Theory all came from Peter Drucker, who is a guru in that field. And Peter Drucker, he said that there are four kinds of risks in life. He said one kind of risk is the risk you simply must take. You have to take. You have to take this risk. You have no choice. And, and the second kind of risk is one you can afford to take, which sometimes most of us calculated the cost, 50-50, uh, but I think it is worth. It's a calculated risk. Uh, and so you can afford to take. That's the second kind of risk. 
And then there's a third kind of risk. It's a risk that you cannot afford to take. You can't take that risk. It's too risky. You cannot afford to take that risk. And he said there's a fourth kind of risk. And he said the fourth kind of risk is a risk you cannot afford not to take. You cannot afford not to take. And for me, if we really want to have joy in our lives, we cannot, the risk that we will take is to embrace Jesus. You cannot afford not to take the step of embracing Jesus, letting Him be the Lord of your life, letting Him to sit on the throne of your heart, let Him dictate your life, trust in, his, in God, and then you have courage to face your difficulties and you commit yourself to the Lord, the contentment will begin to bring you to another level. So let me just pray for you, and now I'll invite the uh, singers to come forward to close this time of song before we uh, have a feast, morning tea. Let's pray, shall we? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for reminding us uh, joy is Jesus. Jesus is joy. Thank you that you sent your son Jesus to die for us on the cross. Thank you that through Jesus we can have joy. Lord, when we have you, we fear nothing. When we have you, we are in the majority. Doesn't matter what happened. Doesn't matter what our circumstances will turn out. When we walk with you, we trust in your sovereign will. You know the best. You know us the best. You love us. You care for us. You will never bring harm to us. Just like most of us will never bring harm to our children. We will only do our best for them to the point that we love. And so we ask that, Lord, you will speak to us. Gives us joy in our lives. Help us not to, to waver easily because of the circumstances we face. We trust in Jesus. And because we have faith in Christ, we can conquer all things. Thank you, Lord, for each one here. May you speak to each one of us this morning. Whatever situation that each one of us uh, may be facing, whatever challenges, difficulties, I never want to, to shortchange people's struggles and pain and, and all that. But you know, Lord, you know. You speak to them. You draw near to them. You lift them up and embrace them and give them the courage and to trust in your sovereign will. Thank you, Lord. We ask for your blessing now as we sing this closing song and as we eat of the food that you provided for us. We are always thankful for your gracious provision. Thank you, Lord. We ask all this sincerely in Jesus' name. Amen.